Good morning, church. Excited to be with you all this morning. We're very blessed to have you all here. If you have your Bibles, it's a crazy thing to bring Bibles to church, but if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of 1 John. We'll be reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. We'll also have them on the walls up front so you can follow along. It's mostly the same, but little changes here and there because, yep, that's what you do when you go to seminary and you think you look Greek. Um, 1 John 2, 3 to 11. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him or her. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let us pray. Our Father God, we pray this morning that we can know you. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that we can know your power. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you lived and loved. And we pray this morning that we can know the power of living and loving like Jesus. Because when we live and love like Jesus empowered by the Spirit, for the glory of the Father, we see the kingdom come. We see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. This morning I wanted to return back to the book of 1 John. Figure at this pace I'll get it done in 16 years, so that's exciting. This epistle you might know or remember is traditionally and historically credited as being a letter or a combined series of sermons from the Apostle John. The same Apostle John who was a disciple of Jesus, the evangelist for Christ, the one who's the evangelist for the gospel, the revealer of the last days, John the Apostle, our Lord Jesus Christ's probable best friend during his time here on earth. In this letter, there are a great many lessons to learn, to look at, to think on, and to study. Lessons that remind us that, yes, Jesus is Lord and Lord forever. He is our God through whom all things were created. He is our God who holds all things together. He is our God who reconciles all things through his blood. But our same Jesus is also our God who came, our God who lived, our God who loved, our God who dwelled in skin among us, the king of all radiance and light, the king who came to shine for the glory of our Father into this world of darkness. He came so that we could become children of light. Our Jesus came so that we could come back home again to the Father. Amen? In 1 John, there are lessons about how true teachers and true believers do not just proclaim Jesus with their lips. No. No, true believers and true teachers prove Jesus by looking like Jesus in how we live and in how we love. There are lessons in here about conflict and struggle, although we know nothing about that in our lives. There are lessons in here about the tension that we often feel in church about expressing some of our more charismatic gifts. There are lessons in here about faith, about conduct. There are lessons in here about love, love, love. What does it mean to love? What does love look like? And again, who is love? First John is a book full of questions and, and a book full of lessons and a book full of wonderful applicable truths for our life and our walk with Christ today. 
So our first lesson in this wonderful epistle, if you remember back, was a foundational truth to understanding this great book. The foundational truth was this. We must know that John is not simply writing about Jesus the Messiah or Jesus who is God or Jesus who is on high. No, John is writing about Jesus, his best friend. John stands with us. John stands before us this morning as he did back then as a witness of Jesus the Christ because with his own eyes, he witnessed Jesus. With his own hands, he witnessed Jesus. And with his own heart, he witnessed Jesus. John writes as a witness who was part of the thousands, maybe tens of thousands, that Jesus spoke to during his ministry. John writes as a witness as one of the maybe hundreds who actually believed in Jesus during his ministry. John writes as a witness of the 72 that Jesus sent out. John writes as a witness, for he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, followers who lived and walked with Jesus, who were exclusively taught day in and day out by Jesus. John writes as a witness that of all those disciples, he was one of the three that formed Jesus' earthly inner sanctum with Peter and James. Peter, James, and John. They're the same three that went up with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. They are the same three who stayed closest to Jesus as he cried out to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. They're the same three that were next to Jesus in the garden. They're the same three that Jesus thought about during his life and ministry. Yet even of those three, John was the one that they all called the disciple that Jesus loved. John was his best friend. John was the witness and best friend chosen by Jesus while he hung on Calvary's tree, dying for the sins of the world, dying for you and dying for me. John was the witness that Jesus chose to be his mother Mary's adopted son, to be the one who will provide and the one who will care for her as an aging widow in her last days. John was the witness. John being Jesus' brother in the spirit. John, being Jesus' best friend on earth, helps us to begin to unwrap the real treasure of this epistle. See, in this letter, Jesus' best friend writes because he knows Jesus and because he's known by Jesus. He writes because Jesus is love and love has invaded his world. John writes because Jesus came to earth and changes how he sees. Jesus came to earth and changes how he hears, changes how he feels, changes how he understands. He writes because Jesus changes his perspective, because Jesus has changed his focus while teaching him what love is, all the while daily working to enlarge even John's capacity to love. Jesus invaded John's world so that John could now again be who God was created, who God had created him to be, who God had destined him to be. A lost child, yes, but one who could come home again. A man walking in darkness, yes, but one who can now be a children of light, a child of light. Amen? Yet the real blessing we learned, the real blessing in the closeness of relationship between John and the Lord Jesus Christ, the real beauty of it all is that that same kind of closeness, that same kind of intimacy, that same kind of perfect knowledge it's the same kind of closeness, intimacy, and perfect knowledge that Jesus desires to have with you and you and you and me and us. Amen? So John writes as a witness of Christ because he witnessed Jesus day in and day out. He saw the ministry in his everyday scenes. 
Then last time we were in 1 John, we looked at one of the, John's major themes in this letter, light and darkness. And that's why I made fun of the Star Wars people, but they didn't like it. But who wastes their time on Star Wars anyway? In that second sermon, we hear John just come out and clearly say it. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. See, some of you thought George Lucas invented it, but he stole it. But John comes out and says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That was the entire premise of the next section of the letter, that God is light, that our God is light, that our God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Amen? And in that passage we learn that since God is light, and if, if there can be no darkness in God, we must always know and hold on to this simple truth, that light is not equal to darkness. Light is always superior to darkness. Light is always superior to darkness. Light is always superior to darkness. Amen? And if light is superior to darkness, we must at any given point be known more for shining our light than for complaining about the darkness. We must work to walk in the light and have fellowship with one another and not submit to the darkness that so easily ensnares us. We must be known not for being perfect, but for being made pure. We must be known not for being made perfect, but for being forgiven by God our Father. We must be known not for being perfect, but being empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must be known not for being perfect, but as people who are living and walking as Jesus lived and loved. Amen? We are not perfect, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are being perfected into the image of Jesus Christ, the righteous one who is now our advocate before the Father. We must be known more for pleasing God and living to please God than simply living to please ourselves or living for me and mine. Our God is light. Amen? And our God and our Jesus reminds us that we are the light of the world, that we are the city on a hill. And I think that'll preach because we're on Harrisburg, because get it, we're the church on the hill? You didn't get it. <laughs> Jesus reminds us, though, that we are the light of the world. And I think this is very, very important because so many of us know that Jesus is light. But before he left, he left the spirit and he left the church. So when Jesus looks down into the darkness, he sees you and he says, you are the light of the world. So when Jesus says we are the light of the world, when Jesus says we are the light of the world, he means that we have to be the city on the hill that's not hidden. That we have to be the lamps that when we get on our stands, we give life, we give light to the entire house. We are the lights who so shine so brightly before others and before our world that when we shine and because we shine, they will see Jesus and they will all glorify our Father in heaven if we shine as lights of the world. Amen? Which brings us to this passage this morning. Now, for the last several weeks, every time I went to read or study this passage in 1 John 2, 3 to 11, I've been stopped dead in my tracks. I've been stopped and almost arrested at this one thought. In all my dealings with 1 John 2, 3 to 11, I've been reminded and forced to remember one crucial phrase. The darkness is passing. The darkness is passing. The darkness is passing. And the true light is already shining. Amen? Amen? Now, some of us grew up hearing, hey, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he does not exist. 
However, I was never really afforded that luxury of pretending the devil didn't exist. And I suspect that many of us in this room never had that luxury of pretending that the devil doesn't exist. Because in our lives, we saw darkness. We saw evil. We saw the devil himself. We saw all the things in this world that are broken. We saw all the things in ourselves that are broken. We never had the privilege of pretending the devil didn't exist because all we saw was the darkness. And I'm not even talking about the devil that causes you to trip and fall and say a few choice words because you stubbed your toe real bad. I'm not even talking about the devil that causes you to say or do what you know you're not supposed to say or do. And I'm definitely not talking about the devil or the devils that you keep letting hang around, even though all they lead to is more and more bad decisions. No. No, I'm talking about the devil that the scripture reminds us is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I'm talking about the devil that scripture calls the prince of the power of the air. No, I'm talking about the devil that seems to not just live in the darkness, but if we're honest, the devil seems to what? Thrive in the darkness. See, as believers, we are not afforded the luxury of ever thinking, oh, hey, the devil doesn't exist. No. We are not afforded the privilege of thinking, hey, all's well in the world because everything's good in my everyday scenes. No. No, the devil is alive and well. He's alive and well and not only thriving in the deep, dark places in our world, but if we're honest, if we're honest and we turn the mirror on ourselves, we'll see that the devil's thriving in the deep darkness in ourselves. If you don't believe me, just try reading the comment section of Pen Life. You won't just need a shower over after. I promise you, you'll probably need a couple of the prayer warriors of the church to bring some oil and pray over you. It's a little dirty on that Pen Live comment section. But it proves that we have darkness in ourselves. So here you go. See, sisters and brothers, the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled is not convincing us that he doesn't exist. We don't have that privilege. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled and continues to pull is simply this. It's not convincing you that he doesn't exist. No, the greatest trick is convincing and keeping you and you and you and me and us. It's keeping us believing and convinced that darkness is on equal footing as the light. That darkness is winning. That darkness matters more than the light. That's the greatest trick he keeps pulling. To that we must all say and live no. To that we must all say and live no. We must say no because darkness is never on equal footing with the light. We must say no because light is always superior to darkness. We must say no because <laughs> victory has been rendered on Calvary's tree. We must say no because dark is not winning. There is not more dark than light. There is never more dark than night. You know why? I'm glad you asked. There is not more dark than light because in Christ Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit and by the will of God our Father, we as followers of Jesus can say and we can believe and we can live what John knew all those many years ago, that the darkness is passing, that the darkness is passing. We can know in our spirit that the darkness is passing because the true light is already shining. Amen? So the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled and continues to pull is simply this, to convince us, to convince we the chosen, to convince we the body of Christ, to convince we as members of one another, we as the family of a God, to convince us 
that darkness is winning. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning in our world. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning in our country. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning in our city. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning in our churches. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning in our families. He needs you to believe that darkness is winning in our relationships. And yes, he needs you to believe that darkness is winning in us, in ourselves. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning, whether by an attack with a bomb or with a drone. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning with this collective stance and commitment that we all seem to have to greed and materialism that leaves so many in our world without. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning when another young sister or brother is gunned down on our very streets. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning when we, the church, only focus on me and what I need, but not also, not also on the world around us, on the world that we engage in, on the world we live in. Satan needs you to focus on me. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning when yet another family is torn apart, maybe forever. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning when every single day we seemingly lose our battles to depression, to sadness, to addictions, to afflictions, to feelings of inadequacy, to stress, to illness, to the good we've left undone and so on, and so on, and so on. Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning. But sisters and brothers, like John, our brother, remind us back then and again here this morning, all darkness, the darkness, whether we see it in the world or see it in ourselves, all darkness is passing, amen? Because the true light is already shining. If you remember nothing else from our service this morning, sisters and brothers, please hear this. The darkness is passing. The darkness is passing. The darkness is passing. And the true light is already shining. Amen? See, Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning. Because if we believe that, it pacifies our wills. If we believe darkness is winning, it diffuses our passion to live as children of light. And if we believe that darkness is winning, it mutes our voices. Satan is winning when our focus is more on fighting for empire. And whether you call that empire America or you call that empire me and mine and my family and what I have to worry about, Satan is winning when you choose to fight for empire instead of living for Jesus' kingdom. Satan is winning when our efforts are spent more in being chased and hiding out from darkness. So many of us have become these Christians who have dwelled in our little safe pockets. We've become these Christians who the world is so big and bad. Let me find my safe corner. Satan wins when you live for the safe corner. Jesus says you're the light. And if you, all you've got to do is complain about the darkness and find a safe corner, are you being that light? Are you following Jesus? Because if you're not, if you're living for the safe corner, you're living and letting Satan win. See, sisters and brothers, Satan needs you to believe that darkness is winning. 
Satan needs you to believe when all our efforts are spent being chased or running from the darkness or setting up our, our safe corner instead of standing up to the darkness, instead of standing up to the darkness and saying, our lights are not only lit, but they're superior. Instead of shining, instead of shining, instead of shining, when we run from the darkness as opposed to shining, Satan wins. We must be the lights to shine for the glory of our God and King. Amen? And Satan is winning if we become or, or remain experts about complaining about the darkness, the darkness we see in our world, the darkness we see in our country, the darkness we see in our city, the darkness we see in our families, the darkness we see in our relationships, the darkness we see in ourselves. Satan wins when we become the experts in complaining about the darkness that we see. Satan wins when we're not listening to the Spirit. We're not obeying the Father. When we're not living and loving like Christ. Satan wins when we become experts who talk about the darkness instead of living with the light that's within us. Amen? Simply put, when we hold ourselves ransom to the darkness that we see in our lives, that we see in our world or in our lives within, when our focus in our life is defined by that same darkness, Satan wins. But if we ask the Spirit for power... If we ask the Lord Jesus Christ for grace, and if we ask God our Father, the forever loving one, for mercy, we can not only stand up to any and every darkness, we can win too. Because light is always superior to darkness. Amen? Sisters and brothers, if we ask the Spirit for power, Jesus for grace, and the Father for mercy, we can win any darkness. See, here in 1 John 2, 3 to 11, John doesn't just give us a great mantra or slogan, you know, like, in God there is no darkness. John's just not just reminding you for some cute bumper sticker you can stick and put on your car, although that would be cool. But, I would, you know, we got a building that we need to pay for, so if you choose the bumper sticker and you need it, just tithe to the church. We'll appreciate it. But when John's talking about the darkness already passing... When John's talking about the light already shining, it's not for the bumper sticker. It's not for a slogan, a life mantra. John is writing to remind the people of faith back then and we today that yes, darkness is passing and true light is shining. But John is writing because he says, if we shine our light, we can have proof of the victory that the light is beating the dark. See how this works together? We can complain about the darkness and we'll be in darkness. But if we shine our light, we'll defeat the darkness. Amen? Starting in verse 3, John says this. We know that we have come to know. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him or her. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So the first way to shine our light is to know Jesus. Now, for some of you, you may not know Jesus this morning. You may not know him as Savior who was sent for God, for the world, and for you. You might not know him as the one who lived to please God. You might not know him as the one who loved revealing who God is. You might not know him as the one who was betrayed, as the one who was bruised, as the one who was bloodied, as the one who died on Calvary's cross. You might not know him as the one who not only died for the sins of the world, but descended into the depths of hell. You might not know him as the one who conquered death and was raised from the death on the third day. 
You might not know him now as the one who sits on the throne on high at the Father's right hand as your advocate. As your advocate. If you do not know Jesus, the one who made it possible for God to forgive your sins, if you do not know Jesus, the one who makes it possible to gift you new life, the abundant life, he says, if you do not know Jesus, sister and brother, today and right now, Scripture reminds us, right now is the day of salvation. Amen? So get to know Jesus. Now, for some of us, we kind of know Jesus. We like him from afar. We like him as long as, you know, he's our fire insurance or 911 emergency call. You know, a lot of us sing Jesus is Lord, but not too many of us are willing to live Jesus is Lord. A lot of us sing Jesus is God, but not too many of us in our lives, in everything, in all things, in everything, in all things, in everything, in all things. Not too many of us are willing to surrender and to submit and let him be God of all. Let him be Lord of everything. Let him be God of all. Let him be God of me. Sisters and brothers, if you live to keep Jesus at arm's length, you do not know Jesus. Jesus is not here to be your, in case of emergency, break glass fire insurance. Jesus has come to be Lord of your life. Jesus has come to be the one you submit to. Jesus has come to be the one you surrender to. Jesus has come to be the one who is your Savior and your God. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, as the Lord of all of your life, sister and brother, today, right now, right now is the day of salvation. Amen? And so for some of us, we've known Jesus. We've made known him for a while. I'm sure there's people in this room that's known Jesus for longer than I've been alive. We've known Jesus, but if we're honest, he feels a little ways off. We might know Jesus, and he might feel that, you know, he's there most of the time. We might know from this day forward or forever know that, yeah, he'll always be there, whatever that means. We may be struggling with this idea of forever trusting him because our fire, if we're honest, has been dulled. The fire to live for Jesus has been dulled. Maybe we no longer hunger for Christ. Maybe we no longer know the thirst of chasing after him. Maybe... We're far from Jesus. But today and right now is the day of salvation. Because scripture reminds us that Jesus is the one who refines your fire. That Jesus is the one who fills your cup. That Jesus is here and right now. If you do not know Jesus is the one who's here right now for you, sister and brother, today and right now is the day of salvation. Amen? And I love John's metric for measuring knowledge of Jesus here. You know, in our culture, a lot of ways we measure, you know, knowledge is in the degrees that we have. And I think for our generation, it's in the experience especially. You know, my truth is my truth, as if truth is just completely subjective. So we measure knowledge by the degrees we have or the experience we live or the things we've seen or the things we feel. But that's not John's metric. According to John, our knowledge of God is not based on what degree we have. It's not based, and this is hard for some of us, it's not based on our experience. Our knowledge of God is not based on what we say, what we do, what we feel. According to John, our knowledge of God is not based on what we see. It's not based on what we know. No, John keeps it rather simple. We know Jesus if we keep his commands. If we do not keep his commands, 
We are liars and the truth is not in any of us. If we obey his word, love for God is then made complete in us. You want to know Jesus? Obey his commands. You want to know Jesus? Submit to all things that he asks. We know Jesus, John seems to think, by loving. We know Jesus by living as Jesus lived. We know Jesus by obeying his commands. Amen? So you want to know Jesus? According to John, he says, keep it simple. Keep his commands. You want to know Jesus? Obey his word. You want to know Jesus? Let the spirit live in you and let it make God's love complete in you. You want to know Jesus? Live as Jesus lived. And if you're not sure what his commands are or what his word is to be obeyed, If you're not sure how to let God's love be made complete in you, how to live as Jesus lived, I have a simple request and challenge for you tomorrow or this week or hopefully the rest of the year. The simple challenge is this. In the spirit of it being back to school, I know some of you thought, you know, you're done with the school thing, but we're all going back to school. In the spirit of being back to school, I'm going to pledge and I'm going to give you a little homework. Not before the church but just simply in your spirit, in your heart, where God is already talking to you, I want you to make this pledge, that from now until the end of the year, you're going to read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every single week. If you want to get to know Jesus, you got to at least start with what he says. If you want to obey his commands, you got to at least know what he's commanding you. If you're going to let God make complete in you, you must at least submit to the Spirit. So this is my challenge. Read it and get to know Jesus. Read it and get to know our Christ. Now, for the 10 of you who will actually do this, um, amazing how, you know, I think it would be amazing if we all did it, but I'm only going for 10. I got six on the first service, so really we only need four of you. All right? So we can beat the 10, right? I think it would be amazing if we all did this, but hey, if we got four, that's good. I think God wants all, Hank wants 10. Remember that. For the 10 that will actually do this, please come and see me on January 1st, 2017. Now, unless Jesus comes again, I won't be there. But if Jesus doesn't come again, I can tell you exactly where I'll be. On January 1st, 2017, I'll be in my living room, on the couch, eating leftovers, and watching college football, right? Unless Jesus comes again, then I'm not going to see you, and hopefully you're with me, you know? (laughs) But if Jesus doesn't come, I want you to come see me in January of next year. After pledging to read the Sermon on the Mount every single week, after pledging to ask God, what are your commands? After asking the Spirit, please help me submit to them, reading every single week. You want to know Jesus, keep his commands. You want to know Jesus, obey his word. You want to know Jesus, let God's love be made complete in you. You want to know Jesus, the challenge is to live as Jesus lived. Because if we live as Jesus lived, sisters and brothers, that means that out there and in here, we will be loving as Jesus loved. Amen? John concludes by saying this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them that can make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. See, for John, this is the proof. 
This is the proof of our victory. For John, this is the old message we have heard, and it's also the new message we need to hear. The message he says in 1 John 1, and the message he says again now in 1 John 2. The message is this, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So if you want to know Jesus, keep his commands. If you want to know Jesus, obey his word. If you want to know Jesus, let the spirit dwell in you and let God's love be made complete in you. If you want to know Jesus, you have to live as Jesus lived. And your world around you has to see you loving as Jesus loved. Amen? And John says the proof is found in how we treat our brother or sister. Because if you hate them, you remain a product of the darkness. And here's the part that gets me every single time. When you hate your brother or sister, John says that you are indeed working for that darkness. Every single time you hate, you're empowering Satan to win. If you hate your brother or sister, you're not just working for the darkness, but you're making Satan win. Hate blinds us from where we need to go. Hate empowers us so that we work for darkness. Sisters and brothers, our unwillingness to live in love as Jesus lived and loved renders us stuck in darkness. And if you've ever struggled with something that seems cyclical, if you've ever struggled with depression, if you've ever struggled with feeling less than, if you've ever struggled with this thing that you just can't seem to let go of, if you've ever struggled and you know the power of cycles, you know what it's like to be stuck. But sisters and brothers, the only thing we got to pulling the unstuck is Jesus. And Jesus, the only thing he's got is the spirit in you. So I'm not just talking about you when you struggle. I'm talking about when you see your brother or sister struggle, we are called to love. We are called to live in love like Jesus. And that's how we break cycles, by loving like Jesus Christ. Amen? For John, this is the proof. The proof is found in how we treat our brother and sister. And John says, if we love, Sisters and brothers, if we love, there is no darkness that can be conquered. Please hear me on that. If we love like Jesus, there is no darkness that can't be conquered. If we love like Jesus, there is no darkness that can't be conquered. If you love, there is no sister or brother that cannot know their value in our Father's eyes. The one who created them good in his eyes. The one who looks down and sees them as his workmanship. If we love like Jesus, every single person we meet should know their value as God sees them. And here's the beauty of it. If we love like Jesus, we will also know our value as God sees us. Amen? If you love sisters and brothers, if you love as Christ loved, there is no miracle that we won't see in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we love like Jesus, there is no miracle we won't see in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we love, there is no, no miracle we won't see. So how do we love like Jesus? I think we will learn lots of this, you know, now that four of you might commit to reading Sermon on the Mount every week. All right? I think we'll learn a lot about what it means to obey Jesus' commands. How do we love like Jesus? I want to close with two passages because I think Jesus says it better than any of us ever could. In these verses, I want you to listen as Jesus says, if you're going to live as I lived, if you're going to love as I loved, you must be like me like this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And also remember, my dear sisters and brothers, one day the king will say to all those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison, we went to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Sisters and brothers, may we be a people, may we be a congregation and a family that knows Jesus, our Christ. May we be a people, may we be a congregation and a family that commit to keeping his commands. May we be a people, may we be a congregation and a family that lives and loves like Christ lives and loves. Amen? I'd like to invite the worship team up as we close with our last song. I'd like to invite the intercessors up as well. We will pray for you no matter what's going on in life. Come up, please, please. We'd love to pray for you. But as they get up and get ready and settled in, I want you to take a minute to do this. Before the Spirit and before God on high, I want you to close your eyes if you need to. Whatever you need to do to focus, I want you to ask two questions. How can I live like Jesus lived? How can I love like Jesus loved? Final hymn is a hymn that was started out in Swedish, was translated into Russian, then into German, and then into English and was pretty much lost until Billy Graham and his crusade found it in 1957. Shall we stand and sing How Great Thou Art?
Father, my God, we thank you this morning that you can be known. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning that you can be felt. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that we have you as our model. So we pray now that as we leave, Father, help us to know our God, our Father, who's not only good, who's not only great, but he's ours. Help us to not only feel the Spirit, but be empowered by the Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for you as the model. And we pray now that in our everyday scenes, in everything we say or do or think or imagine, Lord, help us to live as you lived. Lord, help us to love as you loved. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.